today's episode of the TV Yearbook, we talk flying mannequins, voodoo zombies, and... Wait, does this say blackface? What? Welcome back to another episode of the TV Yearbook. I am Dom, and we have an amazing show planned for today. But first, Greg, we'll let you know what this show is all about. Thanks, Dom. Uh, I am Greg, and we are looking at shows through the lens of today. Uh, We're looking at important shows, maybe some popular shows, sometimes iconic shows. Maybe they're culturally relevant, culturally meaningful. But this is a retrospective. We are looking back, and just like your yearbook has best and worst, we're going to be looking at the best and the worst episodes of, of certain television shows. James, would you like to share more? I would, Greg. Thank you very much. Yes, those of you at home might be wondering, how do you pick the best and the worst episode? And the answer to that is the internet. We go online, we look at message boards, lists on various websites, and we just take a tally and figure out what is the general societal consensus of what is the best and the worst. And today we are going to be reviewing a show that ran from 1985 to 1992, and that show is MacGyver. Hey guys, before we actually talk about MacGyver, Greg, you have started a tradition. What is the soda that you will be reviewing today? Yeah, for the new viewers of the pod, we have a tradition, at least I do, to drink a delicious craft soda. And today, guys, take a look at this. This is uh, a root beer. Is that a uh, Ninja Turtle? I didn't see that very. Uh, no, it was just uh, a Ninja Turtle. It's, oh, it's a it's tree. A, it's a tree, and sure enough, it's Pastry Brewing Company has a handcrafted root beer. And so during the episode today, I'm going to be enjoying it. So I'm just gonna. Oh, there it is. What's it called again? It's called Peace Tree Brewing Company. Root beer. It's handcrafted, delicious craft. So I'm gonna take my first sip right now. Dom, tell us about the show MacGyver. Well, Greg, we cannot wait to learn more about your. Handcrafted. Uh, but MacGyver is a show about something. Richard Dean Anderson plays Angus MacGyver, military explosives bomb specialist, who works for a special task force, Phoenix Foundation, fictional, of course, or they'll have us believe that. They work for the U.S. military doing a number of special operations. Basically, he's always in danger, constantly at risk of getting blown up and has to get himself out of these pickles with common household products all the time. Duct tape, shoe polish, whatever's there. The show was so successful that it had not one but two major made-for-TV motion pictures (laughs) as a result. And SNL had success with the recurring skit spoofing the ridiculousness of MacGyver, uh, which then actually went on to have its own major motion picture. So much success of MacGyver. So, Greg, why don't you tell us about the best episode? The best episode that we selected was the episode called Widowmaker. So, here's the story. Just a quick synopsis. So, MacGyver and his platonic lady friend, Mike, are climbing the Widowmaker, a dangerous mountain. Now, Mike, she is the expert. And on this particular climb... She declares that she wants to be more than friends with our hero. But MacGyver just wants to be friends, shoots her down. Mike cries a bit, but keeps climbing almost to the top, but out of sight of MacGyver. Then she slips, her gear breaks, and she falls to her death. MacGyver heads to a nearby cabin and won't leave. He doesn't go to the funeral because he thinks it's his fault, and he's not coming back to the Phoenix Foundation. So from the Foundation, Nikki, she makes her way up to see him, but she's followed by our old nemesis, Murdoch, who everyone thought burned to death. But now he's back with some sick facial scars, looking for MacGyver, looking for revenge. Nikki eventually finds MacGyver to try and bring him back, but Murdoch, who had followed Nikki, attacks them with a flamethrower, burns the cabin down, rigs their car to explode. They escape, but they climb further back up, the, the backside of the very mountain that Mike fell from earlier in the episode. They get to the top, and so they start climbing down the rock face. They find Mike's carabiners, her rope, her gear, including the broken fabric from her harness, evidence that Mike's death was an accident. 
Murdoch eventually finds them, rappels down the rock face, jumps them, but in the scuffle, Murdoch falls to his death. And that's basically it. Presumably, we never see the body. Never see that the body. That is true. But the the scene is it's a pretty far fall down there. It's the Widowmaker, Dom. Well, you know They don't call it that for nothing. That guy there's no way he would survive that, just saying. Thus, well, Murdoch's wife, Blanche, is now a widow. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. I I loved the beginning of this uh, episode. I mean, anytime you start an episode off with a DTR, a defined relationship, <laughs> you know that this is going to be high drama. Oh, yeah. But this, this mountain is actually, it, it's like, it's a character in the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything revolves around this mountain. And I mean, this is the mountain. If I'm going to fall to my death, this is the mountain that I want to fall off of. Because as soon as you begin to fall to your death, you instantly turn into a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is what happened. No question it's, about it's that. It's really, really just... could It couldn't have been any more clearer to see a mannequin strapped with a windsuit that just or a windbreaker tracksuit falling to the bottom of the mountain it does remind me of one of my favorite deep thoughts by jack handy if you ever fall off a large building just go limp because then people will look and they'll say to themselves hey free mannequin Kind of how uh, several bodies that fell down the Widowmaker looked. Here's here's my problem with the episode synopsis. Okay. The episode synopsis on Amazon, where I watched this, it told you that Mike was going to die. Oh, I knew it. Really? I, I read oh. the episode and it said, uh, after his friend Mike dies in a climbing exit, MacGyver goes to a remote cabin. Uh. And I, I knew it, which means the first five minutes of the show yeah. were incredibly stressful to me see i'm afraid of heights uh, i am okay. terrified of heights and i was losing it we better get jamming we got to make widow's ledge and broomstick crack before we lose our light well you and you and macgyver have that in common were you a little surprised that he was afraid of heights uh it made me actually feel better about myself because i think MacGyver's <laughs> awesome you have one more thing in common with MacGyver. <laughs> one more yeah, thing. <laughs> haven't had a mullet in a couple of years, but. <laughs> I mean, after I finished this episode, I watched the beginning of Cliffhanger. And then I watched the beginning of Ace Ventura 2, which had similar Why? falling scenes. You did this all after he's this got the, He's got the raccoon hanging down and it's the parody so this is the original falling from a giant mountain face that Cliffhanger stole from, that Ace Ventura stole from. So this is the grandfather of Ace Ventura 2. I've always felt that way. <laughs> is that right? That's a, that's a hot take. Sure is. Hot, hot take. take. Hot take. You're on the TV yearbook. There's an old climber saying, it's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop. <laughs> Let's get back to Murdoch because he is the antagonist of the episode. So after Mike's death and MacGyver is hanging out in the cabin, he has no idea that Murdoch has come back from the dead and is and is after him. So Murdoch shows up at MacGyver's houseboat and starts looking for MacGyver, leaves him a bunch of, I don't know, really disturbing clues, takes some Kodak pictures. And no, then he no, takes no, no. Out... Polaroid pictures, Greg. Polaroids. Polaroids. Yeah, those aren't cheap either. Come on now. Anyhow, go on. They seem really threatening. And then I get really excited because he pulls out a little blowtorch. I think he's going to leave him a gift of creme brulee. <laughs> That's what it looked like. But instead, he he writes on the wall, RSBP MacGyver. And no, incorrect. It's, R.I.P. Sorry, R.I.P. <laughs> MacGyver. And it's on. And now he's going to have to find out where he is. And eventually locates him in, in the cabin. Yes. And, the, and so Nikki, who works for Phoenix Foundation is at this cabin where MacGyver is just inconsolable in his grief. They're trying to call him from the Phoenix Foundation to come do some work to get over Mike's death. And uh, because Mike had professed her, un, you know, her love for MacGyver minutes before her death, we, we see that he is just in deep pain, complicated pain, couldn't save her, etc. You can also tell that from the delicious 80s synth music that oh, was... Boy. 
heading throughout. It was like the beginning of Whitney Houston's song, but yeah. <laughs> it was hot. And so Nikki shows up intending to um, just pull him out of his pain. And meanwhile, she had stopped at a gas station nearby where a shady character let her know that there was some problems with the wires in the engine of her, her truck. Yeah, her car wouldn't start. That's a right. complete, absolute stranger who doesn't reveal his face comes into a rescue. Very shady. And then she just tells him exactly what her plans are, where yeah. she's going, where she's staying. It's the 80s. I mean, stranger danger? She works for the Phoenix Foundation. She should know better. I'm just going to see my friend MacGyver. He just lost a good friend on the mountain. He had professed her feelings. It's totally isolated. Anyone could just come up there and murder us and no one would know for months. I mean, <laughs> <that was> just, <laughs> pretty much. Well, then, yeah, he says, you, the person you're visiting would be mechanically inclined. And he's like, yeah, why, yes, he is. Of course. Oh, how, what a silly little question. So, so she goes up, MacGyver throws a big fit, just, you know, get away from me. I don't want you here. Why'd you come here? Obviously he lost his friend, but a little whiny. So Nikki goes in and into the cabin and she, he follows her in. And all of a sudden we see dangling from the ceiling, Polaroids. And instantly MacGyver knows his old nemesis is back. And this is the weirdest part of the episode, but also most capturing. Because it flashes back, I, I think, to the earlier episode where this arch nemesis Murdoch was introduced. And we see, I want to get this right, okay? I need to look at the exact line here. And you cooperated so beautifully. She's a man. He's a killer. And I guess Murdoch <laughs> was dressed in as a woman. And right before it's like clear, oh, it's Murdoch and he explodes in this fiery death. It does make me want to go back and watch that episode. Well, the episode is kind of just broken down into thirds, right? The third, the first third is just MacGyver dealing with his trauma. The middle third is just the whole chase scene. Everything's come, culminating. Murdoch yeah. has been revealed. And the last half, the last third is just they're just running away from Murdoch, just trying to get away. Which the only possible way they can get out, because Murdoch has set up all kinds of booby traps. That's what I said, booby traps! They have to climb the mountain, Widowmaker. <laughs> the backside of the mountain. Right, they have to get go up. up to the top of Widowmaker. That's the only way to escape. And, and I mean, it's clear, Murdoch is deranged. And he, I, I really thought he did a good job, the actor. He is deranged. And he has a blowtorch on his back and he is just, I mean, the fire is everywhere in the cabin. It's just, it's just insane amount of fire. So I feel like this, the stunt work in this episode was really good, in my opinion. He's got guns. He's got flamethrowers. He has mines. grenades that are triggers, uh, mines. mines that are triggering. Mines everywhere. Uh, he is, he is sat and he is chasing them up the mountain. But and he's, you know, the only the only real MacGyverism that we have, I mean, the show is basically known for all of the weird things that he comes up with, is some kind of arc welder that he that MacGyver uses to dismantle the flamethrower of Murdoch. Yeah, I, I'm not clear on the science there, but that was interesting. It seemed plausible. Murdoch runs by with a flamethrower on his back. He, like, pokes him, and then it blows up. <laughs> And it's great. And then he takes it off. And then the, well, then there's another point shortly thereafter where he needs to climb a telephone pole to tap out SOS with his Swiss Army knife. And then he takes off his belt. Did you see that? And he puts it around his feet. Yeah. And he he just shimmies up the pole. I want to try it. I'm ready to try it. Well, maybe like 40 pounds ago, I I would try it. (laughs) (laughs) So then at the end, they're climbing up the face of the Widowmaker. They're stuck there. They tapped out the SOS, so they believe help is on the way. And then all of a sudden, here comes Murdoch roping in. Oh, my gosh. Like a pirate. Like a pirate swashbuckling in. in. And he just keeps on swinging in. And what does he say when he drops in? Oh, I don't remember. Mind if I drop in? <laughs> Mind if I drop? Is that <laughs> classic? Oh well, did you hear? I, I forgot to say at the at the telephone pole, he's got MacGyver in his scope, and he's going to take him out. And he says, "MacGyver, you're about to be disconnected." Which I was watching with my 11 year old, and he cracked up at that. <laughs> yeah, so we have a swinging villain, literally from hell, 
and MacGyver disarms him on the first swing. For some reason, Murdoch continues to swing in and out. Yeah, he has the goods on MacGyver. <laughs> he can murder him then, but he decides, I really enjoyed swinging down to this ledge. I want to do that again. <laughs> so he He's just- on a carnival ride. <laughs> MacGyver defends himself. He grabs Murdoch's rope. Murdoch swipes at MacGyver, cuts his own rope. Yeah. And then falls off the mountain. <laughs> he doesn't even. Instantly turning back into a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even try to not fall. <laughs> <laughs> I imagined it was one of those like wily coyote moments where. Because we never saw he was back on the ledge. Like, he cuts his rope and he's just kind of hanging there in midair. <laughs> yeah. And then just gives the... <laughs> it was outstanding. It was a... I mean, mm-hmm. I really liked how it ended there but it was a little bit like what are you doing just get off the rope well the entire episode macgyver had been dealing with his trauma and apparently all it took was just a little bit of manslaughter to get over it. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had all the stages of grief there you know the uh, anger denial bargaining and yeah manslaughter Murder. who knew <laughs> murder is the last stage uh, now we know <laughs> yeah, I guess the real question is, what is Murdoch's plan? Because when he just comes swooping in like the pirate on the chandelier, he is swooping in slowly. Mm-hmm. He has a gun. Yeah, at first, he's got a gun. He has a gun. He's oh, like swinging yeah. in. Here he comes. Here he comes. He has a gun. And then he lands. Nikki kicks the gun out of his hand. Oh, that's right. Gun's that's gone. Right. And the gun's just gone. <laughs> and that's it. And I mean, yeah, he has the knife, which he uses to swipe and slash his own rope, which leads to his doom yeah but what what was murdoch's plan well what well that's why he's i don't know he has kind of a jason or like freddy krueger quality to him he has a he's a burn victim because of the explosion so his face is all melted well he has all these layers of genius of finding macgyver putting the pictures in the cabin unnoticed Having a flamethrower, setting up mines so they can't get out, meticulous. blowing up his jeep. I mean, meticulous. But for a trained assassin, he can't shoot an unsuspecting MacGyver in the back of the head. <laughs> and he can't help himself playing with a tire swing. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, so he gets disarmed with the gun. So then he must, I guess it's in- instinctual there to push back out. Let me collect my thoughts. Oh, I have this giant knife. I'll pull that out. Oh, no, no. He swings in and he cuts MacGyver. And then he swings back again. Yeah. I, I, I just, he's improvising. It's not, it's not great. But uh, when they're up on the cliff, Nikki, Nikki falls, uh, almost falls and has to hang on by the edge. Just the classic TV trope, right? And, uh, and then MacGyver saves her. And pulls her back up, but all of that again. I am I am not a heights guy, and just like at the beginning of the episode, I am terrified. At the end of the episode, I am also terrified. I know what's going to happen. I know exactly that Nikki, she's not going to fall. They're not going to kill two women, the only women in this entire show. <laughs> They're not going to kill both of them <laughs> in this episode of MacGyver. And but I am still terrified. Like when I go to a tall building. Like I went to the Eiffel Tower a couple of years ago and there is no physical way to get out of that Eiffel Tower. I will not go toward the edge. It's terrifying to me. And so watching this scene play out on like a three foot ledge with a thousand foot drop, I, I found it very, very effective. It was a, it was a good personal story, like a MacGyver personal story. We called back to the beginning of the episode. It was like a full circle episode. So this guy's a nutcase. Yeah, no kidding. It sounds like this episode deeply affected you. It did. Well, how did the worst episode affect you? Oh, gosh, the worst episode. (laughs) You know, after all your luck, you owe the spirits a goat. A goat? Yeah, let's just quickly recap that just to to be clear on where we're at. This is season seven, right? This is the season that gets canceled. The the last season of MacGyver. Yeah, this this is the end, and the episode is... The Walking Dead. So here's your synopsis. We're in Little Haiti, and Aunt Denise and her niece, Shireen, are hanging out in their bodega when a fancy-looking fella, Concasseur, walks in, shakes Denise's bodega down, and warns Shireen that her protesting is going to get her in trouble. 
See, Haiti's had a tough history, no doubt, but some brutal guys escaped to Florida in the 70s and 80s, and now they're shaking down the bodega owners of Little Haiti, and Shireen is protesting these guys because she's not having any of it. MacGyver walks in just in time to see Shireen kidnapped on the street by Concasseur. She's taken to Colonel Devereaux, one of these bad guys who escaped Haiti. And he is dressed really, really snazzily. And generally, they're part of like this kind of Haitian mafia, but with like a voodoo twist. So everyone's afraid of them. No help from the police. So guess who it's up to, guys? It's your turn to burn, MacGyver! MacGyver. It sure is. Oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so MacGyver visits a local botanical shango, and Mama Lorraine, along with a normal local doctor, uh, are hanging out. They surmise that there's some secret voodoo meetings happening at the abandoned dam. <laughs> Mama Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure MacGruber was always at abandoned dams. <laughs> it's an abandoned dam. <laughs> it's a, yeah, sure is. So... They, Mama Lorraine and MacGyver, they sneak in. They discover that Shireen has been zombified by Colonel Devereaux, who has blown some voodoo dust in her face earlier. <laughs> MacGyver gets caught. They dust him, too, to try to zombify him. But he takes Mama Lorraine's antidote just in time. He escapes, gets double-crossed by the doctor, but defeats him in a clever fight, gets back to the dam, rescues and antidotes Shireen, and they escape with all of them. There you go. And MacGyver Whoa. carries the day in our worst episode. Exactly. And okay, so this episode opens in a weird way for me. MacGyver is just strolling through little Haiti. Uh, how does he end up there? That's that's weird, right? Because he was playing hockey there because he's walking with his hockey gear bag and hockey stick. <laughs> Which, yeah, of course the hockey rink is close right through Little Haiti. That In the makes... early 90s, Haiti was a hotbed for hockey. Well, so that was a little strange to me. So then he walks into the, the bodega, was it, Greg? Mm-hmm. And um, he sees the shakedown happening from this, you know, a Haitian goon. I believe his name is uh, Concasseur. Concasseur, who looked like Clark Kellogg nicely. to me. Very nice. His accent uh, laid it on a little thick, not going to lie. was a little bit out there. Um, <laughs> but uh, after he leaves, we realize uh, Mama Lorraine. Oh, no. Is it Mama Lorraine that owns it? No, Denise. Denise, thank you. Owns the, the bodega. And she lets us in on a bit of information. And that's one of the things about this season seven is it got more socially responsible, uh, maybe is the phrase. They started tackling social issues. Uh, It's well known that that Haiti has had problems with corrupt politicians. And so they mention a, a longtime president, Papa Doc, from Haiti, who these were led to believe that these goons are the leftovers from this corrupt regime. Francois Duvalier. And this is a real person? Is that real what person. Is? President, former president of Haiti. And I believe he had a son who and took his over. His name was Papa Doc? Yeah, the, the son was Baby Doc. <laughs> uh, so I didn't know these things. Yeah, and that's who, that's who Shireen, uh, our girl who's kidnapped, she's protesting all of these former regime people who had escaped to Florida. So she is really anti-corruption, and so she is protesting, and then she's going to get kidnapped. But our friend Concasseur, who we met, I recognized him immediately. I recognized him, but I don't. I didn't know where he was from. Yeah, so he was. This is uh, Tommy from yeah. the show Martin Martin Lawrence's show. He was uh, the friend. Was that show. Oh, yeah. Dom, did you happen to see anybody else that uh, that you recognized in this episode? Well, I did. Well, when we get to meet our voodoo priestess, Mama Lorraine, Lorraine, Lorraine yeah. her patient that we come in was, again, another actor. I recognized him. I had no idea who he, yep, who he was. I had to look it up. But he was none other than... One of the members of the Jamaican bobsled team in Cool oh, Runnings. Oh, no. oh, can it be? Hey, Rollins has a bobsled team. Yeah, he was the, the he was the rich one who tripped him at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I see, I see. So the bobsled and the hockey rink—it's all coming together. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool I noticed a lot of other people, though. There was the big one was Huggy Bear was in this episode. 
Antonio Fargas is in this episode. Wait, Hello. Hello. Who's, who's Huggy Bear? James. Uh, Starsky and Hutch fame. Never seen an episode of Starsky and Hutch. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to put that on our uh, TV. Well, who was list. he? I don't I don't know who, who Huggy Bear was in this episode. He was the guy. He was Colonel Devereaux, the main antagonist. The guy who looked like a frog? Uh, sh- uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Very famous actor. Very famous actor. Yeah. He so. also uh, he also played the bus driver in the Backstreet Boys, a uh, Backstreet's Back, all right, music video. Oh, well, his jaw, which is the icing on the cake. His, his whole mouth moved like he was a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't look away from the way he enunciated words. He was so he is the main antagonist. The uh, the doctor. The good doctor who eventually oh, yeah. turns out to be a turncoat, Michael no. D. Roberts. James, did you recognize him? At I all? recognize him, but I don't know what I know him from. He is in an episode of Seinfeld. Wow. And it's the episode where <laughs> Elaine becomes the president of the Jay Peterman company after Jay Peterman like goes oh, crazy yeah. and heads to Myanmar or Burma, as he likes to call it. And so she's the president. She starts buying all sorts of stuff, including the this like, $8,000. Yeah, the hats. <laughs> Like, looks like a muskrat, but apparently it's super fancy. Anyway, Michael Roberts, who's the doctor in this episode, is like the accountant auditor of the Peterman Corporation who takes President Elaine to task overspending company money. It's a whole thing. I wonder which role he's more proud of when he looks back at his career. Mm. Mm. Being the accountant of Jay Peterman or being this (laughs) blowfish doctor. <laughs> in a season seven episode of MacGyver, on its way out, I don't know it was tackling that. social issues though. So you know, is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? I don't know about that. <laughs> it's it's social issue adjacent. Because <laughs> voodoo and zombies. I... You know, one of the things that I was really disappointed in this episode is just the lack of MacGyverisms. Yeah. Like, everything he did in this show, like, I just kept thinking, oh, I think I would have thought to do that. If it's something that I would have done, then I, I don't see that as being a legit MacGyverism. James, I actually agree because I didn't. There weren't as many MacGyverisms. I actually, really, in either of these episodes, but that's okay because you know we've seen a few episodes of MacGyver, so we know what to what to expect. And there just weren't as many like household product saving the day kind of things going on. Right. But I will say that when MacGyver is trapped in the casket, getting the rope with his finger, my question was, <laughs> oh, man, do you think scene. that was Richard Dean Anderson's finger? No. Uh, that was trying to grab on the rope in the back of the truck, or no. was that a hand model? I mean, just Again, just. I don't think it was a hand model. I think it was they just looked around and they found the key grip boy or the gaffer and said, "Hey, I, we just need your finger." No, union laws won't allow that. You or regulations. <laughs> you. I mean, you have to paint the picture here. I mean, this this MacGyver is trapped in a, a casket, mm-hmm. and he pokes out a hole, which. Whatever, there's a hole in, in this plank. It's the knot of the, the wood. The knot of the wood, but if it, it just easily pokes right out. And then the finger in the whole scene. I mean, that is, there is nothing like that on television, ever. Uh, <laughs> As he's, and this random rope is I mean, just dancing around. That, was, that had to be six to seven different hand actors for the length of time <laughs> we see a finger in the hole trying to reach for a rope and pull it through. <laughs> I mean, how many minutes of footage was that? Well, I mean, that casket was bouncing all around. And, and then when he manages to pull the rope in and tie the knot, they're driving so viciously that it rips the side <laughs> off. But then he decides... Eh, I'm just going to kick my way out. And he kicks the <laughs> casket to shreds anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would have, I think if I'm in a casket, I would have thought to do that exact same, which is why it's it's not a legit MacGyverism. I agree that there was not enough in either episode of the, the MacGyver things that we would expect, uh, but I was super well, disappointed. Well, hold on. Would you have known to climb a telephone pole in 
tap out SOS using No, of a course not. I mean that Would um, you have made an arc welder from a radio antenna and car couldn't battery? Couldn't do it. Couldn't well, do it. Then you, There's no chance. You can't say that about the best episode. I exploded many of flamethrowers last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it was a little bit it was a little bit it was he tapped the knife or he tapped the flamethrower and then it just kind of went zzz, it just sizzled down, right? Well, it's made After of metal these, and then blew up. I have to confess up. I don't know what an arc welder is. So he just. I don't know either, but it makes flamethrowers blow up. Yeah, after 10 seconds? (laughs) The villain takes it off slowly and walks away, and then it blows up. It's MacGyver. Everything is a countdown for 10 seconds. That's true. That's true. But then, well, okay, here we have some occult things, and they, they actually give a biological or some kind of medical theory on why zombies might exist for real. Zombies, MacGyver. Zombies? But they're myths, aren't they? And so they explain that, the doctor explains that, Blowfish Doctor, early in the episode. And then when it comes time to see a zombie, we never see one. I was horribly disappointed by that. the zombie part is when she comes back alive. I mean, she was never dead. She didn't walk around like a zombie. She just was like not breathing and then alive again right it's like romeo and juliet this uh this voodoo magic that you breathe you get this dust kind of blown on you and you breathe it in and you become like juliet at the end of romeo and juliet where it seems like you're dead and then you come back to life and i don't know there's just a lot of discussion about this the art of voodoo and to be honest i'm not educated enough to speak intelligently on on whether or not how accurate was how accurate was Mama Lorraine's portrayal as a voodoo priestess. Don't know, don't know. But anyway, I was disappointed by the lack of zombies. The big thing at the end when MacGyver saves the day. So we have Colonel Devereaux, who's now dressed up like uh, Baron. What do we call him again? Baron Samdi. Baron Samdi, and he is getting ready to revive. Shireen using his own his voodoo magic but when he's getting ready to go on the stage MacGyver knocks him out but there's this big crowd of people who are still expecting to see the Baron and then they uh, do but not quite not (laughs) quite and I believe I wrote some show notes in here and when this happened I believe my exact words were oh no oh no Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Four because times. what happens is I take back. I mean, we, we just said that the show was lacking in MacGyverisms. Mm-hmm. But this is the MacGyverism of the episode. Because what is a MacGyverism anyway? It's when MacGyver takes household <laughs> products and does something that no one else would ever do. Yeah, taking the ordinary to the extraordinary. And what we see is MacGyver coming out in blackface. Yes, Will. You just make sure you put on a good show, Mama. 100% blackface in That's the, the MacGyverism of the episode right there. And yeah, what, yeah. What no one else No one else would have ever do. done that. Nope. And to be fair, the... Uh, I mean, he has some artistic makeup skills in there as well. Very quickly to do it in 30 as well. seconds. Yeah. In 30 seconds. Yeah. And he manages to take an entire crowd in 30 seconds and completely turn them against this Haitian mafia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is MacGyver at his best, I might argue. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, it is something. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. It's a fact. So they, they escape the stage, but now all the bad guys are after them. And we get to our next MacGyverism when he just <laughs> rolls a bunch of barrels at them down the hallway. Uh, he set them I mean, up ahead of time and oh, then true. released them. And it's a real Donkey Kong situation. <laughs> 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 did he set them up ahead? I missed that. He did. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, oh, he. I remember he found the barrels, and I thought, "Ooh, what's he going to do with these barrels?" And then he just, yeah, he Donkey Kong down the hall. I'm wall. glad you you saw the influence of Donkey Kong. I also had kind of an Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom vibe that they were trying to to maybe rip off a little bit of that. I don't know that rip. I did not get that. No. 
<laughs> cut that. Cut that. Now, you are one of the undead. <laughs> okay. So, we've talked about the best and the worst. So, what are our thoughts of the series as a whole? I, I just have to say this because don't you guys remember when you were like seven, eight, nine years old and you were staying home from school because you were sick. And then at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m., whenever you got up, you got some breakfast, you got ready, and then you hopped on the couch, turned on the USA Network, and from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, right before The Price is Right, you watched back-to-back episodes of MacGyver reruns. I'm sure you guys remember doing that, right? Not with that level of specificity. It was, it was every but day yes. of my life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I skipped second grade. <laughs> I blocked a lot of things out. From 85 to 92, I was never in school. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so watching this, because I remember first run episodes of MacGyver. In fact, the episode after the Walking Dead episode is an episode where MacGyver gets hit in the head. And then he's transported back to King Arthur's England, oh, yeah. <laughs> where Dana Elkar is King Arthur, and he's trying to protect Merlin. That's yeah. when we find out his name is Angus. Ah. It's a whole thing. I remember watching this, and it was a two-parter, and it was a cliffhanger. And I was like, ah, is he going to make it from the lava pit? These are memories. Mm. These, are, these are memories that <laughs> I love. So how did I like the episodes? The best episode I thought was pretty good. I was on the edge of my seat because I'm terrified of cliffs. Yeah. Uh, the worst episode, it seemed really, really far-fetched. And uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Created. It's it's not real. Contrived. Thank you. Yeah. That is the word. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I was, I mean, whenever we're watching the worst episode, I mean, obviously there's going to be things that are just lacking, whether it's the acting, whether it's the plot. But, like, I think the reason it was the worst is just because of the lack of macgyver ingenuity yeah like that was one of the things that's just like everything he did other than the blackface like i i sat thinking like i would have yeah i would have thought to do that like set up set up the like use a barrel to stop someone from chasing you yeah create some kind of diversion yeah grab a rope and try to use what was that the there was the a scene apart. when we find out the doctor is in on it and he's a bad guy macgyver throws yeah, he grabs this powder that when you throw it on the ground, it explodes. And I mean, well, I would have thought to have, do that. I probably would have thrown explodes? it at the doctor. I don't have any powders in my in my consciousness well, that I know will explode. It wasn't his powder. It was Mama Lorraine's. That's, that's what matter. I'm saying. I wouldn't have known it was exploded, but I would have grabbed that stuff and thrown it at the doctor's eyes. I am a mumbo, a priestess of Odun. Well, okay, so my I think my take is... The worst episode was the best worst episode we have watched so far. If you if you take away the blackface, um, which you know we can't <laughs> ignore that, we can't ignore that. But it was fun. It was interesting. It was disappointing. I could see why it's it's not high on people's lists for sure. But I don't know. It was it was fun to watch. Yeah, I didn't think it was really that bad compared the the gap between the best and the worst was not the as bad as all the other shows that we've watched. And Definitely. I think to its credit, and this is kinda I want to ask you guys, just with the material of what this worst episode was about, there was a real easy way to just make this ridiculous and over the top and extremely campy i'm thinking of like the night rider episode where it's the little doo-wop gang and mm -hmm. you know like <laughs> yeah but they didn't like in yeah. this episode like i mean they really treated this whole haitian storyline legitimately and really yeah. stayed away from the campiness and i'm just wondering what you guys thought of the macgyver campiness level compared to the other shows that we've watched hmm. Because Let's I that, that was one thing. <laughs> well, as I watched both the episodes, like I really felt. I mean, think about Knight Rider. Think about you know our worst episode of Magnum PI. The entirety of the A Team. Like <laughs> I really <laughs> felt like the show is dated because of the music, because of the hair and the fashion. But I really felt like this was a very. It's a fun show, but like it's it's done very well. It really rides that line. I think of not being overly ridiculous and silly, 
but also not being like hard hitting and and gritty. You know, I think of MacGyver as a hero. Like, yeah, he doesn't carry a gun. Right. He's not a womanizer. And yeah, at least in this episode, like he fights for, you know, the little guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, that's like, true. And I think that's something very atypical. I enjoy it. You think this show ran at the same time as A-Team. It ran as the same time as Magnum P.I. Like MacGyver was a very different hero compared to these other shows. That was the thing that struck me was just this show, other than the music and the outfits, like I do think that this show somewhat stands the test of time compared to the other. I mean, but in the in Knight Rider, James, Knight Rider, he is part of this like organization that fights crime. It's like the Phoenix Foundation, but four years earlier. It's the same thing. <laughs> he just has yeah. a car instead of gadgetry. I know, but I felt Knight Rider was much sillier than MacGyver. That's true. I did not see one of MacGyver's chest hairs. <laughs> but plenty of mullet hairs. And there was no shoulder hair to speak of. <laughs> I did not see the back of his neck, so I can't speak to that. I, I mean, I, I think it fits right in with the, with the campiness. I actually felt like there are times where, I mean, in the opening of the best episode, and I think this happens a lot in MacGyver, where he's, it's almost like his journal or his he's narrating in first person. And some of that is a little campy to me. Uh, honestly, but, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I think that this, this whole era, it's soap operas for dudes, you know, and, and, and that's how I feel about the time period as much as the genre that we're in. But the last thing we need is some madman with a flamethrower on our backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the shows that we're picking are, are famous shows, uh, are iconic shows, and also shows that were really, really popular. Like we looked at the Nielsen ratings to kind of figure out what shows to do. And it seems like we've come back to the same thing. I've said it before, but all of these shows that are written in 1985, the show writers were going to be 35 years old. That means they were born in 1950, mm. so which means they're growing up at a time where the expectation was for women to be in the kitchen, things like that. The old sexism seen in the 50s, right? So it's not too surprising that these, these guys' soap operas that you call them are so popular. But I think MacGyver does stand some of the test of time because of the music. Not like the bad music, but I just think the think of the tension the music suspense. that's happening when he's fiddling, the suspense yeah. music when he's fiddling and trying to do something. That was a little bit different in the worst episode because the tension music during a MacGyverism in the second episode, The Walking Dead, was very uh, like steel drummy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Caribbean. Yeah. It's a little, so little less a, tense. Yeah. A little less synth, a little more island. <laughs> well, I think also to your point, just granted, in both episodes, a woman was a major factor in the success of. That is true. Of MacGyver winning. Or coming through. That is true. Which is something I think also pretty pretty unique. You know, one of the things, just to kind of hit on this, I mean, this line that MacGyver followed. Dom, I wanted to ask you just, the in the best episode, MacGyver was dealing with the trauma of losing his best friend, where he partly blames himself for it. Like, how do you think that they dealt with the whole grief trauma cycle that he was going through? Well, I mean, it was, it was actually kind of nice to see like he's actually having emotions you know he's this rugged guy that can solve any problem completely alone right this individual ultimate individual but we what we have is no he's he's really hurting over the loss of his friend and so i i feel like in tv up to that point we don't see that a lot and i could be wrong about that as far as tv history goes but i thought that was kind of refreshing honestly to see an aspect of you know masculinity can be more than it doesn't bother me. I'm just going to be quiet about it and have no feelings. What happened in the episode was was traumatic, right? I mean, he's with his one of his best friends who he cares about deeply and who he can't save and she falls to her death while he just watches powerless, right? And, you know, he was already afraid of heights. And so he has to confront that, right? And actually, in if you can harken back to Psych 101, you remember the systematic desensitization? You know, if you have a phobia of something, no. you systematically <laughs> you systematically warm yourself up to it, right? So if it's a fear of elevators, you would think about an elevator, and then you would walk in a hall with an elevator, and then you would press the button of an elevator. You would slowly- When do you push your friend down the elevator shaft to get over it? <laughs> 
Uh, only when there's a when there's an arch nemesis swinging a rope out of the elevator <laughs> shaft. That's the time. But uh, no, I mean, I think you, it's not realistic that you would easily heal over a trauma in that amount of time. I don't know if it was whatever it was. It was two weeks or something. Yeah. But it was kind of nice to see him sort of working through the trauma. And I think I didn't think about that, James, but you're right that it, there is a strong female lead uh, or co-actor that sort of helped him through that and really challenged him to to do it. You know, he was going to just crumble away and die. Well, I also think about and I think you hit on this, that this episode, the best episode was in 1988. And I feel like at that time the the remedy for dealing with emotion was just rub some dirt on it and get back in there mm -hmm. i mean even that even happened at when pete showed up and he talked about like hey macgyver it's been a week like mm -hmm. are you ready to come back to work right you know right right yeah and i like that they didn't find him in a bar totally drunk or something too like that was kind of a refreshing right take he was being reflective alongside a mountain lake and i think that's I think that's the key part, which makes this different than like the eight than other episodes, because we've seen episodes with action heroes, and MacGyver is absolutely an action hero. But compare this to the A Team, compared to Tom Selleck and and Burt Reynolds. Nope, not Burt Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> David Hasselhoff. Excuse me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Burt Reynolds as Michael Knight. Burt Reynolds, Don Knotts. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny car. <laughs> so I think that is is the key on on what's going to be different about MacGyver, and he's a lot more dare I say, reflective, at least in these episodes. And maybe that's why the Widowmaker episode was so good, because it had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Did this show, watching it as a kid, did, I mean, even watching it now, like, there were moments like, ooh, I want to try that. Like, as a kid, did this show make you want to do anything? Oh. And did you do it? Of course. Yeah. That's why I have nine roll of duct tapes hidden all around the house. <laughs> <laughs> Nine rolls of duct tape hidden around the house. Dom is ready to rig anything at any time. What was that's the right. last thing you used duct tape for? You honestly want to know? I do. I do I, now. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> I cleaned out the garage this weekend, and I found an umbrella, and it had a couple holes in it, and so I just duct taped it right underneath, you know, on the underside, and uh -huh. uh, problem solved. Oh. That's less interesting than I thought it yeah, was going to be. <laughs> nothing blew up. I also had a friend show me, sent me a picture of a uh, pimple underneath his belly button, and I suggested that he cover it with duct tape. So that was the. <laughs> uh, I did, that wasn't a personal issue, but uh, you know, somebody, somebody out there in in my uh, social. Network. Well, I was I was curious, and I did a little research, and I found a 1991 L.A. Times story. Oh. Of a rash of injuries blamed on kids <laughs> imitating MacGyver. No way. <laughs> and they were making little bottle bombs using toilet bowl cleaner. Oh, no. And they were using glass bottles. Oh, no. That oh, would just, and I think a couple of the kids had exploded in their hands and oh, some dear. of them went blind. And oh, dear. Well, I do, I do, I remember hearing that the producers of the show actually intentionally made it vague what things he was using but all right. of the things that that they were sort of deliberate about this could actually happen using certain items uh but they didn't but they didn't want the copycat thing to, to go on when you say producers of the show do you mean the Fonz, who was executive producer of macgyver indeed yes yeah. he was wasn't he henry winkler it stands out i mean i caught my breath when the credits <laughs> came on and it said Henry Winkler. I had to pause it and rewind to go back and just like, this can't be the uh -huh. same Henry Winkler. There must be another human being involved in the show. But no, he's involved. He was involved and he's involved with the remake of MacGyver that's currently going on today. Who? What do you think is more common uh, in Happy Days versus MacGyver? In Happy Days, the words A being uttered. Or in MacGyver, the word MacGyver being uttered. Oof, that's tough. Oh, 
Well, in watching the best episode every time that Murdoch screams MacGyver, I mean, it just seemed like you could substitute the word <laughs> mother to it. It's just like, oh yeah, it fits. It's your turn to burn my <laughs> Murdoch was scary. Uh, because, yeah, Murdoch was a fearsome antagonist in that episode. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. The theme song is is one of my favorites. It remains one of my favorites. I didn't recognize it when it first started. Yeah, it took me. It's like, oh, I, I. But then when the main. Once it got to the, uh, to the what do you call that, a chorus? Shippendale Rescue Ranger part came on. Then I was like, oh. Da, 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 da. That's, yeah, that I reckon. <laughs> Absolutely. They added some trumpets in the later season, if you noticed that. I did notice it was different. <laughs> trumpet? Once you leave the 80s, you have to leave the synth behind. I preferred the season three theme song to the season seven theme song. Oh, I disagree. What? Oh. I, I went and listened to them side by side. Yeah, the season three version of the song so much better no you're that's interesting because you're wrong uh well i wonder what season did the show get canceled after was it did they get canceled after the third season no they, <laughs> they were changed the theme song after, after the season, season after season yeah. three i assume you just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's four of my theme song only three years i assume don what are your thoughts i i agree that the later theme song was more appealing yes well, that's all right. I'm used to it by now. I have no objective evidence other than I noticed that it was more appealing. Either way, we got to see some amazing people like Huggy Bear uh, as a as a voodoo priest or an attempted voodoo priest. He that's was right. really just some guy who was part of the Haitian mafia. Yeah, yep. just a con man. Real con man, yeah. Uh, so overall, I like MacGyver. And uh, I might watch more episodes. I really want to watch that King Arthur episode. Well, yeah, I mean... I'm not going to watch more episodes, but this is definitely the one show that I could, on my scale of will I watch it again, it's right now at the highest. That I could, if I found myself just like, oh, MacGyver's on, I would watch it probably just to fast forward to see like all the MacGyverisms, because that's really all that I cared about. What's he going to do? Yeah. Yeah. What's he going to do? Cool. Well, I think it's time to uh, give out some awards. What do you say? I am a priestess, not a showgirl. Yeah, let's do it. We'll start with our flagship, the Extra Mile Award. So this is an award that we've been given on every episode because to make it in Hollywood, it's a little rough. You typically have to start out at the bottom. You hustle your way through. And one of the things you have to do is you have to be an extra in a variety of things. And you're just in just kind of a meat locker with all these other people. You're you're in a scene for a split second and you're hoping that you get your your shot on on screen. And so this is an award that we give to those people in the background that just did that little extra to get themselves noticed. And my extra mile award for this episode, it goes to in the worst episode. Towards the end, when what's her name becomes revived, uh, all the people in the audience start dancing. <laughs> and there was one individual who I think is Dougie Doug, who is another <laughs> Cool Runnings alum, uh, dancing with a feather um, and seemingly having some out of body rhythmic experience. Um, only on screen for, I believe, 1.7 seconds but i did have to rewind it to notice uh to to see that again because my eyes they did not deceive me in this case see james i thought you were gonna talk about one of the henchmen who were chasing macgyver and then they get hit by the barrels <laughs> oh yeah and it's off screen completely but you hear one of them say i cannot move <laughs> his only line maybe in his career i thought That's you were going to choose that guy well those henchmen were very much like the the people who whenever you're watching like a an infomercial mm -hmm. and you it's the before when everything is going wrong <laughs> you know like the guy i i just remember the, the guy who's washing his car and he's carrying everything and then he falls over and everything goes up like that's kind of how they went over the barrels. Yeah, they that was that was not a good job. Yeah, just <laughs> run the other way. My award is for the well, we we learned the toxin that was used in the worst episode was from the puffer fish, right? Mm -hmm. 
And there's a scene early where we're in the doctor's office and it's showing us the fish. But the editor who decided not to show the fish actually puff, I question that deeply, right? (laughs) Because we're supposed to know that this is the puffer fish and it's not puffed up at all. Why? You're talking about the same editor who thought... It would be. Let's just throw a mannequin off the mountain. No one will. No one will <laughs> second guess that. Well, that's a different. I don't know. That epi- that guy might have been fired. I don't know. But uh, I question the editing choice there. What was that award called? Most best editor. <laughs> I don't have a name. Oh, okay. Oh boy. Uh, just the yeah. stupid award. <laughs> <laughs> because I actually have a stupid award as well. Most likely to make the stupidest running decision. So in the best episode, when they get to the top of the mountain, you know, Murdoch's chasing them, they choose to run full speed, full speed, and they're getting closer and closer to the edge of the mountain. So close that they actually continue running like over the first part of the tilt that starts like running down the mountain. And they do not. It is terrifying to me. And then, you know, they start heading down the mountain, not running. But then Murdoch runs and does the exact same thing. He is running full speed toward the edge of a massive cliff that will lead to your certain death. And they are just all of them. Nikki, MacGyver, Murdoch. Stupid running decisions. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't believe it. It was terrifying. (laughs) Well, my last award is the most likely to need improv class award. (laughs) It's it's in the worst episode when Mama Juju is Mama Lorraine. Mama Lorraine. Mama Mama Lorraine. Lorraine. (laughs) Mama Lorraine. Is creating a a diversion for MacGyver to get in. And her diversion is to fix the tie of the guard at the door. Mm -hmm. And they have a little exchange. But in that moment, I feel like the director said, you know what? Just keep the conversation going. And all he could say was, Mama. Mama, Mama, please, Mama. I mean, he sounded like Santa Claus from the stop motion Rudolph movie. Mama, just over and over. So I thought, yeah, this guy, he needs a little bit more practice in improv. Mm, mm. I have a name for my award. It's the editor's choice. Is that too too easy? Too easy? Tasty. Tasty. That's good. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. Glad you thought of that now as opposed to before. Could have been earlier. Could have been earlier. (laughs) Yes, Greg, the name for my award is the Editor's Choice Award. Fantastic. In case it wasn't obvious to you, we give out awards here, just like uh, we give out superlatives and best worst predictions in your high school yearbook, like uh, who has the curliest rat tail (laughs) and who has the sweatiest back. And uh, so uh, that's it for MacGyver. What's next? Our uh, next episode is going to be reviewing the show uh, Hill Street Blues. Another show where I just adore the theme song. This actually might be my favorite theme song in television history. I have never heard of this show. What? Never heard of it. Okay, that's interesting. Which I was shocked when you guys brought it up as this was one of the top shows in the 80s. Okay. That this was something I had never heard of. So Game on. Game on. So I am a clean slate. All right, which means you are completely objective. And so... <laughs> as always. As, sure, season three theme song. That's the one thing I bring to this, is objectivity. Well, hey, before we finish, though, we got to hear about Greg's uh, soda oh, review. Yeah, peace, love, and... Yeah, that's it. Peace, tree, brewing <laughs> companies, root beer. I'll be honest. This the soda has been done for like an hour. And oh. I have not I have not nursed it at all because this was a phenomenal root beer. Oh. One of my favorites. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Uh, unlike yeah. last last week's root beer, the, the Virgils, which a couple of our listeners, excuse me, our listener <laughs> <laughs> has told me that uh, you can't count Virgils as a craft root beer. So I was like, all right, fine. Whatever. Fine. It was sugar-free Virgils, but yes. Yeah, it was. Now, this one is not short of sugars. This small bottle has 41 grams. Oh. And maybe that's what makes it so good. <laughs> But this was, and I think what I liked most about it was the sugar. (laughs) The sugar. (laughs) As it turns out, it was, uh, it made it, it made it delicious. Just, just, no, not the, not the vanilla, not the hint of, uh, 
not sassafras, the, not the peace and love. Not the handcrafted, nope. not the short bottle. Not the caramel color. It was the 41 grams of beet sugar brought <laughs> <laughs> from Shroot Farms. This is amazing. I love this root beer, and I'm glad I got a six-pack. And I mean that in two different ways. Oh, boy. Now you know I'm lying. <laughs> anyway. Well, thanks for listening out there, all you listeners, and signing off. I feel like we need a. I feel like we need a clutch sign off. I really want one. <laughs>